Hi, welcome to the Miami Church Podcast. My name is Crystal Guayco, and I will be your host for today. If you want more information about Miami Church or would love to get connected, email us at hello at mammychurch.com. Without further ado, here's the message. Enjoy! Good morning, Miami Church. Really, really excited to be here with you uh, virtually, but to be in your space and to be hanging out a little bit. Uh, I'm going to be with you for this Sunday and next Sunday doing a two-week series called Tales from the Yukon. And I know that sounds like a little bit of a strange topic for a message series, but stay with me. I think you're going to like where we're going. Uh, Our story, what what we're going to be doing really is allowing history to illustrate biblical truth. And our story begins in the summer of 1897. So we're going back in time a little bit. Uh, and we're, our story begins in Seattle, Washington, where, in the summer of 1897, a group of men got off of a steamship from Alaska carrying bags and bags of gold. They were carrying backpacks and sacks full of gold nuggets and gold dust. Today, said to be valued, no one really weighed it properly back then, but said to be valued at between 20 and $30 million in gold. So word began to spread through our nation. Back in 1897, we didn't have television, but we had radio and we had telegraph and we had an Associated Press wire service. So word spread throughout the country that gold had been found in massive quantities in a place deep in Canada called the Yukon Territory. And this is deep, deep into the Pacific Northwest, way deep into Canada. So word spreads throughout our nation that gold has been found in massive quantities and a daydream sparks in the the minds of hundreds of thousands of people. A daydream where they, they imagine a place somewhere in some unexplored part of the wilderness where they can go and find a creek bed or a stream where gold can just be shoveled into backpacks, where gold can be picked up and brought home in large quantities, where an ordinary person can head out and strike it rich. And as it happened, this particular daydream came coincident with a time of significant economic depression. Uh, Unemployment rates were through the roof. People were having trouble paying their bills. And as a result... People in massive quantities left their lives and headed out into the Pacific Northwest to find gold. How many people went? Nearly 100,000. 100,000 people. Just tee up on that number for a minute and think about that. 100,000 people left their lives here in the lower 48, as they say, and headed out into this punishing, awful, terrible winter to find gold. And the truth is, most of them had no idea what they were doing. They came from desk jobs. They came from offices. 
They came from white-collar places. Many of them had never done an honest day's labor in their life. Many of them had no idea how to hunt or how to fish or how to protect themselves in the outdoors. Most of them had no idea whatsoever what they were doing, but they left everything and followed. And when I first kind of learned of this migration, and believe it or not, sociologically, that many people qualifies as a migration So when I first read about this migration, it reminded me of the way people left everything behind to follow Jesus. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 4. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, just go with me for a minute into this world. Simon and Andrew are fishermen. This is what they do for a living. They are commercial fishermen. They're professionals. And they're they're in their boat not far from shore, And Jesus comes walking along and calls to them and says, you two guys, follow me. And I will make you, it says, I will show you how to fish for people. Another translation says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, what might be an appropriate response to that statement? Just enter enter that world with me for a minute. and Imagine you're the third person in the boat. You're sitting next to Simon and Andrew, and and, and this carpenter comes along and says, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Can you imagine a little side conversation happening between these two? Just looking at each other and going, does he he say fish? Yeah, fish for people. Fish for for people? I don't want to fish for people. Do you want to? I wouldn't even know what to do if we caught a person. What would you? you, We don't want to fish for people, thanks. We're good fishing for fish. That's weird. And we're good. So have a great day. Like, that would be an appropriate response to that statement. You stick to carpentry, we'll stick to fishing, have a great day. Would be an appropriate response. That's not what happens. Something something overtakes them. They catch a vision of something. They see that they've been invited into a grand story. They leave their nets at once. They, They leave everything and follow Same chapter, verse 21. A little farther up the shore, they saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. Immediately, they followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So, There's two sets of brothers in the 12. Now we're with James and John. James and John are also, they're also fishermen. They're sitting in the boat. They're mending their nets, which is what you do at the end of a day's work. So now the boat is at the shore. They're in the boat with their father, Zebedee. And Jesus says to these two, you two guys, come and follow me. He doesn't give them the same line about fishing for people. He just says, you guys, follow me. And this is not follow me to Starbucks. This is not follow me around the corner. This is leave what you're doing and follow me with your life. And they know it. They leave their nets at once. And this is pretty profound. 
because this is recorded for us with a purpose, they also leave behind their dad. This guy Zebedee is also in the boat. Now, we don't know anything about this guy other than that he's a commercial fisherman who works with his sons. So he's probably a little older, and he's been working the boats. He's been working these waters with his, with his boys for a long time. And maybe he's thinking about retirement, and maybe he's thinking about the day when he can hand this family business over to his sons, and James and John are his, are his boys, and now they leave. And you can, just, can you just almost imagine this guy watching his boys leave? Can you just imagine him go, whoa, 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 you, got, you can't go? What? What do you mean you're leaving? We have work to do. I can't pull these nets in by myself. There's always a price. There's always a cost when you follow Jesus. And there were 12 in the New Testament who left everything to follow. And there were 100,000 in 1897, who left everything to follow. What was it that they caught a vision of? What was it that they saw, these 12, when Jesus said, follow me? What was it that the 100,000 saw when they left everything behind, when they left their fathers behind, when they left their homes and their wives and their children and headed out into a place that they really had no business in? Well, It's pretty simple, really. They had a vision of wealth. They imagined a place, and why why couldn't that be the case, right? Why couldn't there be a place that everybody understands, and, and, and then especially understood, that there are vast, unexplored places in the world. That was way even more so in 1897. Why couldn't there be a place way out in the middle of Canada where a person could scoop gold into a backpack and come home rich. And why couldn't it be me that finds it? And 100,000 people left everything behind and went out to look for it. Did you know that there was one person in the New Testament that Jesus invited to follow him who said no? I'm not sure if you knew that. Maybe you didn't know that. There was one person in the New Testament who was eyeball to eyeball with Jesus and heard the words, follow me, and said, no. Here's his story. This is the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. 
This is the only time we have recorded for us in the whole Bible an instance where somebody was face-to-face with Jesus and heard those words, heard the words, follow me, and walked away. There were many that heard Jesus' teaching and ignored it. There were many that heard Jesus' teaching and, and just shrugged their shoulders and walked away or wrote him off as something other than what he was. But this is the only time we have a story of a human being. Come on, just ponder this for a minute. He's eye to eye with the very Son of God. I mean, he is, he's making eye contact with God incarnate. And he is invited into something, and he says, pass. What possibly could have kept him? What possibly could have, could have held him back? Well, it's very clear. It was gold. It was gold. And here's the deal. He doesn't go away instantly, and he doesn't wave Jesus off like he's crazy. It says he goes away sad. Did you catch that? I don't even know if you or I would go away sad. That's an unreasonable request, okay? We're just going to call that what it is. In case you're new to church, Jesus doesn't tell everybody to sell all their possessions. But this guy had an issue with materialism. So Jesus, being God incarnate, kind of reads him and says, you, what you need to do, not for all of us, but you, you in particular, you need to go sell everything and give the money to the poor. In other words... You join the poor. You become poor, is what he says to him. Now, that is an unreasonable request. Let's just be honest. If that was, if that was what you needed to do to become a Christian, there'd be very few Christians in this country. <laughs> be very, few people, very few of us. I don't know, I don't know if, I would, if I would buy into that. Yeah, first things first. Here, just go sell everything, become homeless, give it all away, then come follow me. I don't know if I would walk away sad. I'd walk away going, whatever, man. That's, that's crazy talk. But this guy, and we never learn his name, he goes away sad. He was conflicted. Why? Because he knew, he knew on some, what, what would make him sad? He knew he had just been invited into something vast and glorious. He knew he had just been invited, invited into something beautiful and wonderful, an adventure that would last his entire lifetime and then on into eternity. And he walked away from it because of what he had here. Because what he had here had a hold of him. Jesus identifies gold as the thing most likely to entangle our life. God, as it turns out, has given us a choice about what we're going to live for. He's allowed us to decide what our lives are going to be about. Here's another scripture for you. I know I'm hitting you with a lot of verses this morning. This is Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. That was this guy's problem. He didn't own his money. 
His money owned him. So he went away sad because he knew a new master had invited him into a massive, wonderful story, but he couldn't say bye to the old one. That's where the desires of his heart were. Why did 100,000 people head out into the Canadian wilderness looking for gold? Because that's where the desires of their heart were. That's what they followed. So they set out, they left their lives in the lower 48. Their first stop was Seattle, Washington, where the outdoor uh, outfitting industry was making a killing, selling every piece of equipment uh, a prospector could need. They paid way too much to buy gear. They paid way too much for a, a boat ride from Seattle to Skagway, Alaska. And when they finally got to Skagway, Alaska, if you know what the map of Alaska looks like, there's kind of a curve down. Uh, when they finally get to Skagway, they have a choice. There's a place called Lake Bennett, about 50 miles deep into the journey. And once you get to Lake Bennett, you can traverse a lot of the rest of the distance on water, lakes and rivers, rapids. It's dangerous and crazy, but the overland journey ends there. But you've got to get to Lake Bennett. And there's two ways, the Chilkoot Pass Trail and the White Pass Trail. The Chilkoot Pass was about 35 miles. The White Pass was about 50. Now, why would somebody choose a 50-mile mile pass a path when they could choose a 35-mile one? Because the Chilkoot Pass was treacherous. It was heavy. It was up and down, and it was, uh, there was an element to it called the Golden Staircase, which went up at nearly a 40-degree angle. It was, it, it, was, it was deadly and scary. So a lot of people decided they would take the less uh, alpine route and stay low and take a little bit longer but take less risk. And the truth is, there were horrors on both trails. A lot of people died in that wilderness. They died of exposure. They froze to death. The animals died by the thousands, pack animals. Beasts of burden were required to help people carry their gear. And animals died by the thousands, worked to death on these trails. People went crazy. There were widespread reports of insanity out there. They were simply unprepared for what they were walking into. But as soon as they got to Skagway, they had a choice to make. The Chilkoot Pass or the White Pass. They had a decision to make with what they were going to do for the rest of this journey. And so it is with us. We have a choice to make. We have a decision. Who we're going to follow and what. God's invited you. He's invited you to follow him. To step into something vast and glorious. A life of adventure. Outward bound. Honoring God and being a blessing to the world around you. And there's only one thing. Well, there's one thing most likely to hold you back. And that's gold. Money. Wealth. If we're not following God with our life, the scriptures identify money as the thing we are most likely to be all about. Probably what's happening in my life and in yours 
if we're not waking up in the morning and making it our business to follow God, what we're defaulting into is a life based around acquisition and entertainment. What drove those people on? What pushed them through? And by the way, the journey from Skagway to Dawson City was 436 miles. That'd be like walking from here to Georgia. But walking through, through a place where there are no roads and carrying hundreds of pounds of equipment. What drove them? What obsessed them? What, what, what vision were they chasing? It was wealth. Nothing wrong with having nice things. Nothing wrong with being financially blessed. But if that's the center of your life, you're on a straight path to misery. That's not the life God's called you to lead. So today, as we wrap this up, I want you to ponder for a minute what role money plays in your life. Is it your master? Or do you master it? Money makes a terrible master. It makes a wonderful servant. And when we follow God and we take that invitation to follow him, what we're doing is we're saying with our life and with our days that all of who we are, including our finances, is for his glory. So with that, I'm going to close up in prayer, and we'll press pause on this message for now and pick it up right here next Sunday for part two. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather today, to learn a little bit from history, to learn a little bit from what others have done who went before us. Guide us now and help us be people who not only respond to your invitation to follow, but who respond with our whole lives. Keep us, Father, from the temptation to allow money to be the thing that we define ourselves by. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We would love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email at hello at mommychurch.com. Also, be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss out on any future conversations. I hope our time together inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey.